May Fresh Daily in the Mert Park, Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. You are indeed, and I'm glad about it. Um, we are going to have a conversation here in just a moment with Rena Shaw, uh, millennial powerhouse Rena Shaw, uh, about navigating the D.C. power maze, advising Fortune 500s, and shaping national narratives. As a political strategist, media commentator, and social entrepreneur, we're getting Rena, um, had her on the phone, we dropped her, uh, we lost her. Uh, we'll get her back on the phone here in just a second. Uh, in the interim, I can tell you one of the things I want to talk to her about. Uh, there is breaking news that John Stewart uh, is returning to host the Daily Show on Monday. So he's not not there every day, not there permanently. But uh, it's funny to me. I, I know John well. I've been on his show a number of times over the years when he was hosting from what 1999 to 2015. Had me on a number of times, so we developed a nice little friendship, I think, and brotherhood. Um, and uh, I'm glad to see him come back. Uh, but it's fascinating that after being out of the game um, every day, at least, or even on a one night a week basis since 2015, he's back, uh, which suggests to me that he's got something to say and he wants some of this. <laughs> Do you want some of this? Apparently he does. I'm pleased to welcome Rena Shaw to this program. Rena, how are you today? Hi, Tavis. I'm well. How are you? If I complained, I'd be an ingrate. I am doing well, and I'm delighted to uh, to be in dialogue with you. Uh, a few things I want to cover in the half hour or so that we have here. Let me start, as you heard me mentioning a moment ago, with the John Stewart news. As I mentioned, I know John. I like John. I'm glad to see him back. I know he has something to say, and he always has a, a way of getting us to, to, to see things through a particular lens that we might not have paid attention to. But the, the larger point here is that this thing is getting so wild and crazy that John Stewart obviously wants some of it. How do you read it? I mean, what was it? He made his debut like 25 years ago on that show. And I think he's like a warm cup of hot cocoa, for me at least. Like yeah. He was there in my formative years talking about things that mattered, but putting the spin on it that he's known for. And whether you, you, know, you just like him or love him, I think this is something to feel good about because he really revolutionized late night television. And yeah. to see him come back, and he did that with others too, but but look, to see him come back and, and to know what he's done in his years out, kind of, um, the advocacy, the passion, the the real love for change and, and connecting with his fellow Americans, um, I think he's going to translate a bit of that to the, to the screen again. Yeah. And we're, it's needed in these times. Yeah, uh, I think you're right about that. He again, he has a unique way of getting us to to uh, to pay attention and to focus on the issues um, that really matter. But as, as I'm thinking about John Stewart while you're talking, uh, Rena, my, my mind is I got two things, uh, two thoughts competing in my mind at the same time. Let me try to break them down and get your take on it. Uh, I'm thinking about the way that John covers the news, and I'm thinking about the way that the news covers this campaign. And there are two mm -hmm. thoughts in my head. Bill Maher, uh, another friend of mine, was on this program a couple of days ago. Uh, Bill was just here. And Bill was making a joke, although seriously, he was saying that the Obama years were boring for comedians. Obama just didn't give the comedians anything to work with. He was so straight-laced. <laughs> he didn't make any mistakes, yada, yada, yada. I mean, so uh, that's, Bill, uh, that's Bill's comedic rant. But I take his point that Obama didn't give him a whole lot to work with. Trump is, gold, is a goldmine for comedians. And even Biden in his own way has been a goldmine uh, for comedians. Which leads me to ask how I should be seeing this. Should I be seeing the fact that John Stewart is coming back as uh, as uh, as some sort of uh, uh, notion of what they, the media that is, expects this race to be? The fact that John wants some of this means something. So I'm I'm, I'm thinking that John is getting back in because he knows again this thing's going to get wild and crazy, and he doesn't want to miss the party. That's the one side. On the other side, speaking of the media, I've been disappointed for years now 
that the media, to my mind, has never quite figured out the right way to cover Donald Trump. I don't want to call it much more than that. On the one hand, people are excited about this campaign, if you're in the media, because there's a whole lot to cover and a whole lot to talk about. On the other hand, I'm not sure the mainstream media, that journalists know exactly how to do that the right way. I pass the microphone to you. Oh, you know, Tavis, you just said so much right there that I've been chewing on for a little bit, and particularly mm-hmm. after last night with Nikki Haley's loss in New Hampshire. Um, look, she didn't turn up the way that many people had expected, but it wasn't so bad. I mean, there was polling that had her, what, 20 points behind. She had an 11-point delta between her and Trump. That's on the side. But, mm-hmm. but what we were talking about with Stewart is he is an empathetic entertainer. Mm-hmm. That era... I'm afraid is on its way out, if not almost over, Mm. because you look at Trump and that's a non-empathetic entertainer who made his way to the highest perch in the land. Mm -hmm. And when he left in 2020, was unceremoniously booted out. I I would say, you know, just really somebody that's going to go down in history generations from now, they'll be like, what were y'all thinking? Mm -hmm. But then again, this moment leaves us wondering if we invite him back into our lives and subscribe to the media that benefits from his presence, from his irrational thoughts, from his lack of care for his fellow man. If we continue to subscribe to that stuff and let ourselves be entertained by it, then can we ever get out of this sort of vacuum uh, that I know there will be many people who say, hey, this is great. It plugs us in again, and yeah. it mobilizes a certain yeah. faction of people to want to get to the polls and maybe vote against Trump, right? There's all that. We can splice and dice this however we want. But I- I'll just say this. Uh, you know I'm a political analyst, mm. commentator. I am youngish. You know, I'm, I always say I'm an elder millennial. I made my career on Capitol Hill working for two Republican members of Congress. Now, that was at the height of the financial crisis back in 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. And I thought our politics would go south at some point. I started to see it a little bit, but I never thought it would nosedive this way. Yeah. And I am afraid of kind of really how we allow uh, people who are irresponsible journalists to change the narrative for us about us. Mm. And what, who, the us is people who actually think that government is serious business, that politics is serious business, that public service used to be a thing and still should be a thing. Uh, there is too much us versus them being done right now. And I actually just hung up the phone with a journalist who is from an international outlet that I don't want to put on blast, mm. but I, I do go on these outlets frequently uh, internationally because I really love it. I love explaining America to the world, mm-hmm. uh, answering questions about us, talking about what, why I love this country. I'm the daughter of immigrants. So obviously I love all this stuff. But, but I, this person was trying to say, but you're a never Trumper. You're a never Trumper. And I'm like, hey, 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 the labels have got to stop here. I may have opposed him in 2016, again in 2020, and don't want him back in the White House. But I am giving you some other stuff here that is fact, and you're not taking it. You want to go with the tabloid fodder. So that is the problem mm. that I think characterizes our politics today. Now, when we come forward, you just said two things I want to probe. One, I am fascinated by how in these international conversations you are in this moment, in late modernity, explaining America to the world. That ain't easy to do. I've said many times over the years. Uh, that one of the reasons why I have to get out of this country every year as often as I can is to see it from the outside in. I don't think you can appreciate America or, frankly, critique America in the way it ought to be critiqued 
if you if you're always inside of it. What's the old adage? If you if you're on the if you're on the float, you can't really see the parade. So you got to get off the float. You got to get outside of America and look back at it and critique it. But when you travel around the globe, certainly in the Trump era, as I did and as you did, it's hard to explain to folk. <laughs> it's hard to explain America to folk. It's hard to explain democracy to folk during the Trump era. So I'm wondering in this moment now that he's making a comeback, how is Rena Shaw? to her point, explaining America to the world. You just heard us talk to Leon Panetta, um, who was former White House Chief of Staff, former Secretary of Defense, and he said in his 50-plus years uh, of public service, he's seen Washington at its best and Washington at its worst. Rena ain't been doing it 50 years, but I'm curious as to whether or not she thinks Washington right now, she's a millennial powerhouse, is it at its best or at its worst? More with Rena Shaw when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. Hope, agency, dignity. This is Tavis Smiley. Can you dig it? Let's get back to more of this rich dialogue with Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley and Rena Shaw, and I'm delighted to have you on this program. So, Rena, a couple of things. Um, you were saying a moment ago, and I'm fascinated to, to, uh, to get, hear your response to this question. Um, you were explaining to us, that, uh, telling us rather, that you are often in these conversations where you're trying, trying to do your best to explain America to the world. How, how, how's that working out for you? How, how are you explaining <laughs> America to the world in this moment? Well, I'm definitely not throwing my hands up, even though it, this is not for the faint of heart. I, when I went into this, I thought, this is great. This is just me speaking my truth, you know, talking about what I've learned inside the halls of Congress and mm-hmm. around the process. And, you know, I'm part activist, too. You, do, you don't get into this work that sure. I have as, as a former operative without having a heart for change. And, and change is not a bad word. And, and I've met many a Republican who agree with me, even in the era of Obama. You know, you can still admire people and um, vote against them, for example. But but where we are right now, the politics have become so nasty because of the othering of folks. And so what I'm seeing from Trump in, you know, using Nikki Haley's legal name, for example, questioning whether she's eligible for the White House simply because she was born to parents on U.S. soil who weren't yet citizens. I mean, this is the nonsense that we have to kind of wade through. What I'm doing essentially is just trying to say, uh, these are our values. This is what this country was founded upon. And it's messy. It's imperfect. And in fact, our founders, I think, had a vision for how it would have been messy because they understood we are not a perfect union and they wanted us to continue to strive to be a more perfect union. I mean, people always say to me, the founders would have never envisioned someone like you voting. And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't take that. I don't take certain lines. I don't accept, uh, I think the status quo, which is a lot of what, what we see in communities coast to coast. What I want to build across America is vibrant, inclusive communities. The type of communities my parents landed up in in 1970, for example. Yeah. in rural southern West Virginia that said, you know what, you're part of us. You you believe in what we believe. There's a societal pact that we are all working, again, striving towards a better America that is not only competitive, process, yeah. prosperous, but innovative. And for everyone, regardless of what you look like or where you come from. So that is the hard part because we have to spend so much time talking about sort of the nasty, superficial stuff uh, that we can't really get to our values too much. But like I said, you, you only make it make sense if you reject yeah. a a lot of what's being sold to us by certain people who are enriching themselves off of public service. Yeah, I know there are going to be a lot of people calling me. I'm getting it now uh, uh, from friends of mine around the globe who are trying to understand how uh, we are processing uh, the second coming of Donald Trump. They don't They don't get it. Uh, when we come forward in our remaining moments, speaking of Donald Trump, I, I want to ask uh, Rena, two more things for our loser at the top of the hour. One is, 
Um, what she makes of the fact that uh, as uh, the president uh, is um, steaming and streaming toward um, uh, renomination, uh, he's gotten and is going to get the opponent that he wants. Uh, they're scared of Trump because they don't want to lose to a guy because he poses such an existential threat. So they're scared of losing to this guy. But this is the guy they want. They want this rematch with Donald Trump, and they're going to get it after what happened in New Hampshire last night. How does Rena read that? And I still got to get that question to her, um, given uh, what she's seeing in Washington, whether she thinks she's seeing Washington right now at its best or at its worst. More when we come forward. What's your quarrel with the world? You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Sounds, Sounds different. different. Huh. This, this is Tavis Smiley. Got about four minutes left for your arena, Shaw. Let me start with this. Um, we have heard over, over many, many years about the, uh, uh, the much fabled power of New Hampshire's fiercely independent voters. Uh, but that was not enough uh, to overtake uh, the spell that Donald Trump uh, apparently is cast on this party. Uh, that's a long way of saying that Joe Biden is going to get the guy that he wants. As I said a moment ago, they don't want to lose to this guy because he does represent a serious existential threat, but they want to run against this guy. They think that's their best chance of, of winning. Uh, and uh, Joe Biden is the only guy to ever beat Donald Trump uh, at the ballot box. So what do you make of the fact that the sequel that we all are regretting is actually going to happen? Yeah, there's no uh, telling if, uh, you know, what the odds will be like as we get closer to November of Biden actually being able to beat Trump this time. I want to believe that obviously he's well equipped to do so, having beat him handily last time. But we had a different set of circumstances. We were, you know, we looked at the Trump administration's handling of the COVID-19 pandemic. In my book, it was pathetic. And a lot of other Republicans thought so as well. But the stakes are really high here. So, you know, I, I thought the Democrats should have, could have, maybe would put up someone else uh, for the White House. But this is where we are at. I mean, I'm one of the very few strategists saying, you know, anything can happen between now and South Carolina. It's a long four weeks. Uh, Nikki Haley obviously has not run out of money, desire, stamina. I'm glad she's staying in, you know, being realistic about this thing. The structure of the race doesn't look good for her to be able to be successful in South Carolina and then to go on and be successful in Super Tuesday. Uh, but we are where we are. And and I would just say this, you know, the stakes are really high right now. So yeah. anybody who's thinking about retreating to the sidelines, it's, it, it, don't do that. It's not enough to just vote this time. You've got to act. You've got to do way more than vote because it's just not enough to think we are well-informed. We are an ill-informed public. But by and large, we, yeah. do, we have low levels of participation, but we, we are this way because we've chosen to be. And we can turn the page at any point, but it takes some degree of urgency, some degree of knowing what's on the line. And when you've got two, one almost octogenarian and another one who want to lead our country when the average retirement age coast to coast is somewhere between 61 and 67, we got to be asking ourselves, what's it going to take to change this? And I say, you know, I've talked to younger conservatives in rural states, Tavis, that want the overturn of Citizens United. They want term limits. And they want to see us do better. They want to get rid of these winner-takes-all systems and advocate for things like ranked-choice voting, which would make us actually feel represented. Our leaders need to understand there's a whole rising generation of people who feel heard and who are handcuffed to mortgages right now, yeah. and you haven't got us mad enough to want to come and boot you. But the minute that happens, the people who make this kind of change happen are the people that will ensure the mm. glory of these United States of America. I got 60 seconds left. What's your read on Washington these days? 
It's a messy place. It's a place where nobody wants to be a part of. You know, mm-hmm. when I was young and came to this town, which was almost two decades ago, I, I people would ask me all the time, sure, you want to you want to run for something one day? And I said, absolutely, because public service was always in my heart. My father talked to me about it when he was a young man in Durham, North Carolina. He would tell me stories of what it was like to be brown and black there in Durham, mm-hmm. North Carolina in the 70s. And that kind of stuff would get under my skin because the concept of America, as he sold it to me as an immigrant, was that anything is possible here. It's a great experiment where anyone can participate. So I always saw my place in the system. But over these two decades, I saw how the system is stacked against those of us who want positive change. And I, I, I can see these change makers here with me in the fight, but it's going to require us bringing in more people to the fight. We can make it a less messy place. We can make it a better place for us, but it's going to require more of us with this mentality coming here. Name is Rena Shaw, Millennial Powerhouse, who I've uh, enjoyed having on this program to get her unique perspective. Rena, thanks for coming on. We'll do it again. All the best. You have a great rest of the day. Thank you, Tavis. Good to have you on. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward.